Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. So we are in the second Sunday of the season of pre-Lent, sometimes called Shrovetide. Uh, Shrove being a word indicating the um, the sacrament of confession and, and, uh, and absolution and penance. And this is what uh, Shrove Tuesday is also named for. The day before we begin Lent in, uh, in earnest on Ash Wednesday. And so the idea is that on Shrove Tuesday we prepare ourselves and we make a good confession and uh, our, receive absolution so that we begin Lent with a pure heart and spirit and with the intent to uh, hold Lent as, uh, as well as we can. So today, Sexagesima, the Sunday closest to 60 days before Easter, um, we have this gospel passage where Jesus gives a parable to the crowd. It's a parable of uh, someone sowing seed and scattering it all around, and the seed falls on different types of ground and different results follow. Now he tells the uh, disciples who ask him what this means, I speak in parables to the crowd because if anyone wants to know more, they can look into these parables. But as I proclaim this truth, those who don't really want to know more, those who aren't truly seeking the kingdom of God or seeking out truth, they hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. They have eyes and ears, but they don't really work for them. Uh, but for you guys, the ones who are asking to know what this parable means, the ones who are seeking out truth, obviously, who uh, dropped everything to follow me, I will tell you what this means. And then it's one of the rare occasions where the Lord himself gives the explanation of his own parable. Uh, this is this is rare indeed, especially to be recorded in the Gospels for us. So he goes on to tell us that the seed is the word of God that is scattered out into the world. Some seed falls on uh, the, the byway, the highway, the path, and it's trampled underfoot, and the birds come and snatch the seed away, and it never even has a chance to germinate. And this is when the word of God falls on the hearts of those who are so hardened that uh, they can't even receive it. And before it has a chance to sink in, the devil comes and takes it away. Then some seed is uh, scattered on rocky ground, which does sink in and germinate quickly, and it begins to sprout, but very soon it, uh, it withers up because it can't, it can't put roots down. It has no moisture in the ground. And Jesus tells us that this is those people whose heart are um, uh, too, too shallow to let the word of God take root in them so that any time there is uh, the least bit of uh, trouble or, or, or pain or tribulation, um, the word is choked out. There, there's no moisture and there's no roots. And then some seed falls on ground that is full of thorns and thistles, and so the, the seed takes root, it begins to grow, but as it grows, it's choked out by those thorns, which are the earthly cares of this life, not tribulations necessarily to just rock and destroy the faith, but just just the everyday pleasures, uh, as he says, uh, the uh, riches and cares of this life. And then some seed falls on good soil, 
And these are the hearts of those who hear the word, hold fast to it, and water it, and give it light and sun. And this is those with a good and honest heart. And they bring forth the fruit with patience, and it yields a hundredfold. So this is the explanation of this parable. The question is, though, one of those questions we tend to gloss over. Jesus does explain what the parable means, but he says that the seed is the word of God. What exactly is the word of God? How do we reduce the word of God to something like a seed that can be scattered uh, out into the world? What is the core, seminal message of the gospel? Well, you know, I mean, that can be formulated in different ways depending on, on your audience. And sometimes I think that we can even scatter a certain kind of gospel seed that does work better with those rocky hearts or those uh, thistly and thorny hearts. I don't think there's much we can do for the, the path where the, the birds come and eat it before it gets a chance to take root. But anyway, so the word of God is this seed. And the word of God is a big, broad, subtle, massive, complex thing. It can be put simply, depending on the context, but it always develops into something more. It's not a simple gospel message that can be left as it is. It might can be preached simply, but then it always invites a lifelong exploration and exposition of what the Word of God is. So I think the Word of God is actually the entire truth of the Christian message. It's not just that Christ came to save us of our sins. It's the explanation of what sin is of why God had to come and save us. The fact that Christ is God, that if he were just a man, he couldn't have done it. He had to be God himself. And God simply uh, saving us from our sins wouldn't have been the same had he not become a man to do it. So the gospel fits together as a whole. It can't be uh, simplified or reduced beyond um, the entirety of its content. It has to be all-inclusive. The word that we use um, often that, that scares a lot of people off is Catholic. But Catholic just means whole, universal, the whole thing. It's two, it's two Greek words. It's a contraction. Kata, holos, kata, holos, Catholic. And those words mean kata, according to, and holos, the whole. So the gospel is the truth of God according to the whole. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's the part that we often miss. Christians... Uh, in the West like to know that they are proclaiming the truth, but sometimes they forget that there's the whole truth that they're responsible for proclaiming. So uh, part of that whole truth, I think um, today, especially since we have two scripture readings for our liturgy, we just read the gospel, but there's also the epistle reading that comes uh, appointed for us in the liturgy. And that comes from St. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter, I'm sorry, his second letter to the church at Corinth. And I want to read that um, to us also. And for the sake of today, I want us to assume that the word of God being spread by the, the sower in this parable uh, is this passage of scripture coming from St. Paul in 2 Corinthians. So, as the, as the sower is spreading this out, imagine the different kinds of hearts that we can receive it with. Either the heart that rejects it altogether, doesn't let it take root. The heart that says, yeah, that, that sounds really great. 
but as soon as we walk out into the world and experience anything else besides this concept, it disappears because it has no root. Or the hearts that say, you know what, that is good, let me try to apply that, and as we work at it for a day or two, hmm, bills and, and life and you know medical issues and financial issues and work and time and everything else just choke it out. We can't, we can't hold on to it. Or are we going to have the hearts that hear this and say, this is not only something that I want to hear and hold on to, it's something that I should actually reform my whole life around. This should inform the entirety of my being. So those are the different kinds of hearts that we can hear that with today. So this is from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, beginning in chapter 11. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if a man makes you a slave, or preys upon you, or takes advantage of you, or puts you in airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we are too weak for that. But whatever anyone dares to boast of, and I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in the danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I do not lie. At Damascus, the governor under the king Artius, Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must boast. There is nothing to be gained by it. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise itself, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that he cannot tell, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness." Though if I wish to boast, I shall not be a fool, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think me, no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness, for the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is St. Paul's amazing passage in a letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, In dealing with people who maybe had gotten in the habit of boasting a little bit of their spirituality, their, uh, well, just how well their fruit was growing and and what they perceived their own hearts was good soil. So Paul comes in and says, listen, you want to know what good soil looks like? (laughs) Here it is. And it's not easy. Good soil is tilled up and turned over and um, harrowed. That old word, the the English harrow to to till the soil. It's uh, also what we call the the Saturday when Jesus descends into Hades and and ransacks it, the harrowing of hell. Well, soil, our hearts also have to be harrowed from all the uh, the rocks and all the and everything else that would choke it, rocks and thorns. And so Paul had such good soil in his heart. The Lord actually had to provide a thorn for him. In the gospel, we see that thorns in the soil are bad because they choke out the fruit. Uh, and, and Paul was so devoid of thorns, God actually had to provide just one, just one thorn, so that his fruit didn't explode and make him too elated. Uh, the elation to which Paul was on his way and destined is an elation that he could only properly receive in heaven. But while he was on earth, before he received this heavenly elation, God had to give him a thorn. And so what he describes is a life of good soil. And what we should learn from this, the word of God, the seed that's being spread to us today, is this reality. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want the seed of the gospel in your heart to grow and flourish and to really fruit, you have to have the kind of soil that is tilled like Paul's. Now, it doesn't mean that The same things have to happen to you, but the quality of the soil has to be the same. Paul had these things done to him by the Lord in his mercy. We have the opportunity if we don't have, you know, the chance to be shipwrecked and beaten with whips and lashes and rods and uh, be chased down by the governor of the city and let out of baskets and walls. If, If those opportunities aren't presented to us, then we have to make up for it by tilling our own hearts. The season that we're about to enter Lent is exactly for that. I used to wonder what the purpose of Lent was. Why, why fast? Why, why do any of this? What's the point? Like why? I mean, God saves me. I don't, I don't do anything to save me. Why am I doing all this stuff? What's the point of this ascetic effort? The point is that our hearts can have different qualities. And in order for the life-saving gospel to enter our hearts and grow properly, we have to have the kind of hearts that let it grow. And the only way to have those hearts is to till them, to make sure that our bodies are controlled by our minds and our hearts and not the other way around, to make sure that the passions that that grow up in us, the tendency to want to sin is under our control, is in check. And these are things that we can make better through practical means. It's just called the spiritual disciplines, ascetic effort. Paul says in, uh, in last Sunday's epistle reading that he pummels his body to keep it under control. Right now, the Winter Olympics are going on. 
I like the Winter Olympics better than the Summer Olympics. I don't know why. I think because I hate skiing and snowboarding myself so much, so I like watching it more. Um, a broken arm and I'm pretty sure a mild concussion have resulted from my attempts at skiing and snowboarding. So I am just amazed at watching um, people fly down hills that are taller than the Statue of Liberty and fly through the air at distances greater than a football field. That just amazes me. Uh, and all the work and effort put into, you know, this, this, this one moment at the Olympics where they come down, they do their thing, all of this effort is for what? It's for this little medal that they, they get to bite in a photo opportunity and then put on their mantle for the rest of their life and say, there you go, that's, that's what I got. Like, <laughs> that's, that's great. And Paul says, you know what? But even back in his day, athletes did the same thing. Maybe not quite to the, the, the physical extent, but they worked just as hard. And he says they work so hard for a perishable reward, something that goes away. But we work for something that doesn't go away. So shouldn't we work just as hard? What is Paul talking about? Why do we have to work for a reward? Well, what he's talking about is not the portion of our salvation that is God's alone, not what God does for us. He's talking about what God puts on us, the responsibility that God gives us to participate in our own salvation. We can't pull ourselves up to heaven, but what we can do is make ourselves willing and ready uh, and cooperative for God pulling us into heaven. God's the one that gives us access to the garden, but we still have to enter it. Uh, a lot of the church fathers conceived the, the hill of paradise as sort of a mountain uh, that, that, that you know, goes up and God is at the pinnacle. Well, we were barred from paradise and there was nothing we could do to get back into paradise. But once God, in his own uh, power, through his own mercy and grace and goodness, opens the gate of paradise to us, we then still have the ability and the opportunity and the responsibility to scale its heights. Paul is called up into paradise, into the third heaven. In body or out of body, he doesn't know. God knows. But he was called up to, to see what's there so that he can descend back down to the, the, the bottom of the slope where we are and tell us, guys, this is, this is where we're going. This is why we need to build up our leg muscles so that we can climb the hill of paradise. This is why we need the kind of hearts that can grow the fruit that's worthy of paradise. I hope all this is making sense. Paul spends a lot of time telling us that our efforts are worth something. And I hope we can listen to him and, uh, and not assume that we know the whole content of the gospel, that it's just something God does for us, but it's also something that God invites us into. Uh, this is the whole, the gospel according to the whole. Uh, so on this second day of the pre-Lenten season, as we continue looking toward the beginning of, of Lent, let's consider the type and quality of soil that's in our hearts right now. Is it so packed down that the seed just lands on it and sits and is stolen away? Is it too full of rocks so that it can't take root? Is it too full of thorns so that even if it takes root and we start to grow, eventually it's going to be choked out? Or is it the kind of soil that's been turned over by our own 
ascetic efforts, or hopefully by the grace of God through uh, the sufferings afforded us in this world? Is it the kind of soil that knows there's nothing else for it? It has no other purpose but to receive the gospel of the Lord and to produce fruit because of it. That's the question that we're presented with today. So with that question in mind, let us go into this week and consider it. And if we find any soil, but the kind of soil that produces good fruit from the gospel seed, may we begin to till it and harrow it and uh, make the kind of hearts that are worthy of paradise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.